Halloween's killing and bringing carnage to venom, and we're facing the last duel with Eurydice Gushmau. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen. Van is chuckling at himself. Why are you it's, chuckling at yourself, Van? Because it was just the most awkwardly forced intro ever. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes these titles do not line up. You can't top gear all of these. You know what I mean? You... I applaud your efforts, though. I applaud yeah. your efforts. <laughs> it's just a thing we've always... It's a thing I've always... Everything I've ever worked on, we've always kind of had a Clarkson-style intro. Just, I don't know what my voice naturally lends itself to. Tonight, Richard yeah. drives off a cliff. You know, it's, it's, it's always that kind of... <laughs> Thing. And sometimes the films just do not lend. Like, how do you fit the invisible life of Yurdish Gujmau into a sentence other than I just watched the invisible life of Yurdish Gujmau? Look, if anyone can do it, Van, I've got full faith that you are, you can. And actually, speaking of which, um, the invisible life of Yurdish Gujmau is the first film on our list today. Which and you've um, seen the invisible I've life seen. of Yurdish Gujmau, yeah. I have, and I actually quite enjoyed this, which I wasn't I wasn't expecting to. So it's a, a Brazilian film set in the 50s about two sisters who both have relatively big dreams. You know, mm. one is a hopeless romantic. She falls in love with a sailor, um, decides to go off with him to get married in uh, Greece. Her other sister has dreams of being a pianist and t- uh, training at the Conservatoire in Austria. However, life just doesn't quite play out as they'd hoped. Well, unfortunately, we don't. I know you're queuing for a clip. I, I didn't get a chance to tell you because it's in foreign language. Obviously, we, we don't get to include a, a clip. That would make but, sense. Uh, <laughs> it, would, it would completely, wouldn't it? Uh, so, Kareem uh, News uh, director this. I'm not really familiar with his work, to be to be pretty honest. Brazilian director, and has done one or two theatrical films. They've not really sort of made their way over here into the, the into the larger you know, the larger critical uh, canvas. I think this was the Brazilian submission for Best International Feature, uh, well, I would say last year, Parasite. Can. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, also it, went, it did it can was, as well. It did can, yeah. But, for, mm, but they tried the pitching this. Yeah, they tried pitching this. This was the year that Parasite was in, and uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky's Cold War was in, and things like. And you, you kind of that was a very strong year yeah. for best international feature. And this is very good. This is a very good movie, mm. and I could see. Yes, there is something of a pedigree there, but I think when you start stacking it up against things like Cold War and Parasite, it is going to be found wanting because a lot of films, even English language films, you know, regardless of the language barrier, etc., a lot of films are you know, would have struggled to live up to, you know, Parasite, Cold War, films like that. Um, This is actually, this is, though, an incredibly heartfelt film. Now, it's worth noting, no two sources seem to agree which actress is playing which character. So I'm going to get this the wrong way around, okay? IMDb has a different version to the press notes, has a different version to the official website, has a different version to every other review. There are no two sources that seem to agree (laughs) that you can find in a row as to who uh, uh, Carol Duarte and uh, Julia Stockler are playing. Now, I have it as Julia Stockler's playing Gita, uh, Gita and uh, Carol Duarte's Eurydice. Mm-hmm. Now, they're both terrific anyway, so it doesn't particularly yeah. matter. We're, we're kind of splitting hairs here, but they are terrific, and it is a film that I think has a timeliness. If you look at it, it's the death of dreams by the malevolence of the patriarchy, effectively, but wrapped up yeah. in an old-school, you know, otherworldly period piece. I thought it had real scope, real... has a great big canvas, but it also plays in that sort of atonement park of here's the great tragedy that could have been undone with just... The, the faintest of gestures that you know yeah. one person need only have changed their mind and this could have all been a ver- and it was a really soulful really well it looks the part looks terrific as well yeah do you know what the vibe that actually the look and feel of it is really interesting and we were talking offline just about the way the cinematography was working on this because there's a soft focus when you see things mm. in the 1950s and then there is a small section of the movie which is up to present day and you can definitely see the clarity is very different on that the colors of Brazil are bright and vibrant in the houses and, and the rooms. And, you know, you've got that kind of 50s vibe. There's a lovely scene where um, where Guida goes to, um, like, on a night out, only a day after giving birth, she goes for a, a night out. And you kind of go, oh, you know, that kind of Brazilian kind of Copacabana kind of feel to you know, going down to a bar where everyone's just having a great time and that's what it was like in the 50s and you see these kind of stereotypical scenes like that and it 
it kind of definitely transports you back, but there's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of, what I found was there was a lot of stiff upper lip in this mm, as well. Yeah. You just get on with it and you deal with it, which is one of the hardships of the 50s, especially as a woman. There's a lot of family dynamics that go on. There's a lot of lying and cheating and, and things like that. And I, I think it, it's got a lot of things going for it. And I was surprised that because it's a subtitled film, you know, a lot of people kind of go, I can't handle a subtitled film, especially one that is two hours long. Um, it's long, isn't it? So Because it's like two, it is it two is, and a half or is it two? I think it's two, two and a I think bit, it's two, it? two and a bit, maybe two, two, two and hours change. ten. Yeah, uh, two and change. Two and but change. You know what? It doesn't. It doesn't feel that long. There's always something that you're expecting mm. to see next, and so for that reason, I think it it, it holds its weight quite well. I, I really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. A few, a couple of, um, well, it is a, it is an eighteen. I think a couple of the scenes uh, <laughs> yeah, were a bit gratuitous, but um, it was. Uh, other than that, it was it was good. I really enjoyed it. I will say, going on to your point about the cinematography as well, uh, Helene Louver, who is the cinematographer on this, did um, Beach Rats about six or seven years ago, if you remember that. But also more recently, I think it was sometimes written, sometimes never, rarely, always, what was it called? I'm going to get it written Ooh. down here. Sometimes, re never, rarely, sometimes, always, which was quite, <laughs> quite a critically acclaimed. You can see why I get that one confused. It's yeah, absolutely. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day all over again. <laughs> but I, I think there's, there's something I would say definitely, check this out, if you like something like Atonement. Mm. But also, if like me, you, you, know, you, you have a certain mindset, you're going to watch this movie thinking, this like plays like a very different version of that end Colin Firth scene from Love Actually when he bursts into the restaurant. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a bit you know, of with that. the overbearing father and the two. Yeah, daughters. but there's nothing cheesy about this. Oh, no, I no, think nothing, it's nothing, no, 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 nothing like that. It's it's yeah, I, I really like this. So um good thumbs up from us, I think. Um have you got anything I'm else massive, you want to add to that? I, 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 ma I massively dropped the ball there on Helene Louver. Do you know what she was the cinematographer on? More importantly recently, Rocks. You know, right. critically acclaimed rocks. Yeah. There you that. go. Anyway, let's let's move on to a movie that's got a lot of critically acclaimed talent behind it. Surprisingly, we're gonna have to push for push over the time limit by like a minute on this one. The last duel is out this okay. week. Ridley Scott is back. Mm. And he's kind of going into gladiator mode again on this one. And he's bringing Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Ben Affleck, and Jodie Comer along for the ride. So Based on an actual true story, the Lady Marguerite de Carouge, I believe was her name. This is the, the actual story of Marguerite de Carouge, who accused a nobleman of rape in 14th century France. Said nobleman was also the longtime rival of her husband, who was a bit of an outcast. Husband is played by Matt Damon in this incarnation. The knight is played by Adam Driver. Madame de Carouge is played, Lady de Carouge is played by Jodie Comer. Ben Affleck is the steen ceiling peroxide blonded epically voiced BFF and enabler of Adam Driver's character who is sort of fiddling around behind the scenes as they launch this claim against Adam Driver and this all of, come, of course comes down to a duel in the name of justice a duel that will decide whether or not Jodie Comer's accusations whether or not Lady Marguerite de Carouge's accusations are on the level and if they're not and Matt Damon loses this duel, she's gonna get burned alive. You knew what would happen to me should you lose this duel. You knew and you didn't tell me. God will not punish those who tell the truth. My fate and our child's fate will be written not by God's will, but by which old man will tire first. How dare you speak to me this way? What if I to lose? I begged you to find another way and now I might be burned alive. I am risking my life for you. Hmm. You are risking my life so you can fight your enemy and save your pride and that could render our child an orphan or did you not think of that the chameleon that is jodie comer mm. um greatness she's so good is she good she's that's what really i want good because oh, I, I, I i i i'm gonna ask you like sometimes these period dramas like especially like 14th century french period dramas are like can go so hammy and so wrong how does this and like Ridley doesn't get it right every time, you know? No, he, no, he certainly get it right doesn't, does time. it? For every Has gladiator, right there's a time. kingdom of heaven, isn't there? Yeah, gladiator, yeah, it's the gladiator exactly. kingdom of heaven spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. where does this sit? This is further on the gladiator end, thankfully. Good. It's okay. not now. I knew nothing about this going in. Now, if you just said to me, "Oh, it's a Ridley Scott movie about knights," I'm picturing kingdom of heaven. You know what I mean? Yeah. I go in for this, I get Rashomon. Mm. Okay, I, I, I get. You, you see, this movie opens with this duel. 
Okay, opens, like, in media res, they're having the duel. And, like, and then it comes up with, you know, the last duel. Then says, act one, the truth according to, you know, Lord de Carouge. So you get this story, you get a third of the story from Matt Damon's perspective. You then get the truth according to Legree, who is mm-hmm. Adam Driver's character. You get the, the same story again, same scenes filmed in different ways, same actors, done in, same kind of thing, but there's always little tweaks and little details start to emerge every single time, dependent on who is telling the story. And of course, the third and final one, which is held, which is literally labeled as the truth, because it's the truth according to, and all fades out except for the word the truth, the truth according to Lady Marguerite de Carouge. And you finally get her version as the third act. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Okay. Damon's on good form. He's got a ridiculous mullet. Absolutely absurd. Yeah, mullet. I don't know I remember why seeing set. That. I remember seeing set photos actually. Yeah. of them filming. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So not why, necessarily. Why, that, why are you that doing the a French hammer trend? Thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the good old French eighties mullet in fourteenth century Paris. Good. Um, Adam Driver on you know fine grizzly man llama form. Oof, Adam Driver, <laughs> man beast you. Uh, Damon, good as ever. I mean, they're not trying with the accents or anything in this. Um, Coma absolute, yeah, absolutely owns it. But do you know who my MVP is in this? No joke. Ben Affleck. Yeah, I can see him genuinely, 100%, no joke, getting a Best Supporting Actor nomination for this because it's one really? of those weird ones. It's oh. one of those weird, just, like, it's not funny. Like, you could laugh at it if you wanted to, but it's not funny. It's quite sinister at the same time. But there's a little bit of revelry in it, and there's the weird hair. I can't tell you what his voice is. There are two lines that I can't repeat on radio that are some of the finest bits of dialogue Ben Affleck has ever had in his life. And if you want the actual reasoning as to why he might have gotten those, here's an interesting fact for you. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon co-wrote this thing. Ah. Yes. The writers of Goodwill Hunting wrote this Ridley Scott movie. So, yeah. God, it's, it's a bit Ooh. long. This is two this is two hours thirty-three minutes long. But bear in mind oh. it's split into three acts. So you're effectively getting three mini movies. It yeah. plays like that. And it's so compelling and so interesting that you will stick with it and you won't feel that runtime at all. Go and see it. It's great. They're all great in it. It's not the best Ridley Scott movie, but Ridley Scott's never really an auteur. He's not really an auteur director. He is quite workmanlike, mm. and he's very upfront about being workmanlike. No one's looking at Gladiator and immediately saying, that looks like a Ridley Scott movie, because it doesn't. There is no movie that looks like a Ridley Scott movie. This is not going to change that trend. It is, however, a really bloody good movie. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on that cinematic couch or comfy chair or whatever you're paying for, whatever cinema you are going to, because we've got another couple of great movies uh, to talk about this afternoon and this evening and tomorrow, in fact. In fact, for the rest of the week, we're going to kick off with something that's very seasonal, uh, very much um, on trend for now. And, well, I'm hoping that Van is going to tell me that it's very much a good movie. We're talking about Halloween Kills. Uh, which is um, the movie in which at the premiere, Jamie Lee Curtis showed up dressed as her mother, Janet Lee. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, this might be new news to a lot of people, but yes, Jamie Lee Curtis, the Lee is to Janet Lee and the Curtis is to Tony Curtis. Who knew? We all did. Fascinating, it's a fascinating bit of pub trivia. It always comes up in like pub quizzes. It's one of those questions like, Janet Lee's the mum, who's the dad? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's one, of those, one of those things. Uh, Janet Lee, of course, famously turned up in Halloween H20 as well. Uh, cameoed in that because they're, 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 she does have a scene with Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she plays. The Do you call it H twenty? I call it H two O. It should be. It should be H two O. It should be H two O. I agree, but it is officially H twenty twenty years or Halloween twenty years later. Like everything about Halloween, very little of it makes actual logical sense. You kind of just yeah. have to interpret it, and that's a nice way of segging, uh, segueing into Halloween Kills, which is. Part two, but also part three, but also I think about part 12 oh or part 15, dependent on which way. So, okay, if we're going with the continuity that they would like you to for this movie, you had Halloween mm-hmm. in 1978, you had Halloween in 2018, which was part two. You have Halloween Kills this year, which is part three. And then next year, we're going to have Halloween Ends, mm-hmm. which is the final chapter. This is it actually does... going to be the final one, though? 
this does seem to be positioning itself to be. This does seem to be its own contained story. It okay. ends very specifically on a cliffhanger that sets up parts. So don't think you're going to be watching a complete movie. This very much feels like you are watching the middle chapter, even though technically you're watching the third quarter. But Oh, I hate those. I hate those yep. middle films. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Brace yourself for this one. Okay, so taking a page from the abandoned Alien 3 screenplay, you know, page book or whatever, um, this is a movie that literally sticks Jamie Lee Curtis in a hospital bed for two-thirds of its runtime. So any clip you've seen of Jamie Lee Curtis comes from the, the final act of this movie. Believe okay. me, and she does not leave that room. Like that room you've seen that clip in, that is all she's doing in this movie. Let's get that out the way. This is nothing like that last one. This is not going to be Jamie Lee Curtis does Linda Hamilton. Not happening. This is Michael survived. The town mounts up. Led by a group of tertiary characters from the original movie. So basically, like the kids they were babysitting in the first mm -hmm. movie, who've mm -hmm. now all like grown up to be 40, 50 something sort of alcoholic types. One of them is played by Michael C. Hall, you know, from the John Hughes movies, then found a bit sort of a resurgence of fame by starring in the, the Dead Zone, the TV series adaptation of Stephen King's novel, um, who hilariously takes over the role from, I think, Paul Rudd, who was the last person to play it in the mid 1990s in Halloween 6, which now doesn't count and hasn't happened. Anyway, um, Here's Michael C. Hall and uh, Michael C. Hall, Anthony Michael Hall, not Michael C. Hall. He's Dexter. Wow, I was going to say you, yeah, you missed Dexter. Michael, C. Like, Michael C. Hall is Dexter. Anthony Michael Dining Hall, as he's called in not another teen movie, is Tommy. Oh, Tommy, whatever his name is. Here he is with some terrible dialogue, and one of the few times Jamie Lee Curtis appears in this. <laughs> Tommy. Tommy, Tommy you can't go in there. Tommy. 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 He killed Marion. And he attacked Lindsay, too. What? Karen! We didn't know for sure. I didn't know what to tell you. Mom, I just want you to be okay. Listen, I just want you to know, when he gets here, I'm gonna kill him. Because 40 years ago, when I was a kid, yeah. you protected me. So tonight, I'm gonna protect you, okay? Nurse, you know, I appreciate you, but could you get out, please? Like, get out now! We had him. How did he escape? I don't know. I don't know. What do we do? We don't have the police support. We fight. We always fight. We always fight. We, uh, Wait, okay. I've just had a thought on that. We always oh, yeah. fight. If going back to the conversation I just had with you about the running order this is supposed to go in, that we always fight refers to she kicked him out a window once and then blew up her own house the second time. That's always fight. Just so we're clear. Okay, okay. Oh, this is so confusing. It's mm. such a... Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, I don't really know what to ask about this other than is it any good? No. Okay. In a word, no. As a Halloween fan, it's weak source. I mean, first of all, you've got Laurie and you're not using her. You don't do an Alien movie and not use Ripley. There is a reason mm. they never made that script out of Alien 3. There is a reason that script never got filmed. And had to get turned into a comic book movie two years, a comic book two years ago. Um, incidentally, William Gibson's Alien 3, if you want to look it up. Quite interesting. Walker well, Weathercock, he was a big fan. Anyway, um, so it's a lackluster film. It's got nowhere near the spark or wit of the last one. It's arguably pretty on brand for the Halloween franchise to make a big splashy comeback with a bang and then follow it up with an absolute whimper because if you remember this happened in the 90, late 90s as well we had Halloween H20 came back with a bang what do you do let's follow it up with Buster Rhymes drop kicking him down a reality show staircase filmed in his own home I had that Halloween is... H20 on DVD I remember that H20 is good it. isn't it Halloween yeah. H20 is Right. It's worth noting, incidentally, that, you know, Michelle Williams was in that. We're going to be talking about Michelle Williams in a minute. But sadly, no Josh Hartnett in Venom 2, though, which I think is a missing a trick. Like, guess Josh Hartnett in a Venom sequel, please. I mean, he, he turned it. But um, <laughs> this is just... It's drivel. I mean, I can't tell you what the point of any of it is. If they're trying to wring some sort of semblance of meaning out of the small-town mob mentality idea, it doesn't mm. quite work. If you're trying to make it contemporary, it doesn't quite work. If you're trying to go into what makes Michael tick, again, doesn't really work. And also, the film's relationship with reality seems to be very tangential. Like, okay. it, it seems to only occur when it suits them. So at times, you have the, the, this idea of, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's a depraved man, but he is a man. And then, at the same time, you've got this guy who is supposedly a 61-year-old man offing mm. entire teams of firefighters. And I'm sort of thinking, dude, I've met a 30-year-old fireman. 
Ain't no way. Like, 30-year-old built dudes with axes, and this 60-year-old guy in a boiler suit's just running them all through with a rebar. Like, really? This is a thing we're doing? Okay, fair enough. Oh, my goodness. It's rubbish. The sequel setup for it is contrived. I didn't write it. I thought that the, the writing was terrible. The, there's a very clunky scene at the beginning where they, they introduce all of these ridiculously extraneous characters from days gone by, and they try to make some semblance of continuity out of, here's a character who had one line as a child in a movie you saw 43 years ago. Nobody cares. Um, okay. Halloween kills. Ha- Halloween sucks, is my, my honest mm-hmm. opinion. Halloween, Halloween doesn't kill. Halloween blows. That, okay. That's my honest takeaway. Fair enough. Right, let's move on then to probably a a very highly anticipated movie sequel that's coming out this week as well. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Now, my opinion on the original Venom was a bit sort of middle of the road, three star. Most people yeah, so I'm surprised when there's lots of other, you know, movies of this kind of calibre out there that this has got a sequel. But, you know, Tom Hardy, maybe that was the weight that it needed. What do you think? I've got I've got 856 million reasons why they made a sequel to Venom. Okay. Yeah, very specifically, 856 million reasons why they made a sequel to Venom. Well, this is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> uh, I mean... You don't, you don't deny the almighty dollar. So, okay, we all saw Venom. It was a grimdark reimagining of The Mask. It was a Spider-Man-less Spider-Man spin-off in which Tom Hardy, just being weird is the best way to describe just being weird. Guess mm. an alien, a black oil alien symbiote that basically possesses his body and gives him superhuman. And it's now sort of a timeshare thing. It's a kind of Jekyll and Hyde, but not. He can switch between the two, but he can, they can hear each other in their head kind of thing. So you get to have Tom Hardy having a conversation with himself and a disembodied voice kind of thing. This time around, he's because he, Eddie Brock is a journalist as well in whatever skewed version of you know journalism this universe seems to have. It's, it's never exactly defined. He's a, a podcaster at one point, a web host, a print journalist. I don't know what he actually... He wins a Pulitzer at one point in, in one of these movies. What? It, it's, it's weird. Crazy. I don't know. Stephen, Stephen Graham turns up, so it's not a total loss. Anyway, right. He's doing a story on a serial killer played by Woody Harrelson who got established in the mid credit sequence on the last movie in the most ridiculous wig you've ever seen. He's back. He's got more ridiculous wigs. This time, he bites Tom Hardy, swallows a bit of his blood, and wouldn't you know it, gets a symbiote of his own. His, hence the clever title, is named Carnage. If you've ever read a Spider-Man comic, you may know this character. They made a really good video game out of him in the mid-90s. Basically, Venom in red. And Tal Hardy, Eddie Brock and Venom are having relationship issues, as you'll hear in our clip in a moment, and they have to put aside their differences in order to save the world from Cletus Cassidy, a maniacal serial killer with exactly the same skill set as Eddie. Here's Venom breaking Eddie's nose. This is about me wanting to live without you, whining in my ear all the time about eating bad guys or like nagging me about Anne or destroying my place or destroying my life. Do you know how lucky you are that I chose you? You chose me? But I'm the only person that took you in when your friends kicked you off the planet Ming Mong because you are a reject. You are a pariah. Need to protection my ass. You couldn't protect anything. You are useless. You can get a job down here cleaning toilets. <laughs> I'm sorry! I don't know what came over me, please. Let me fix it. How about it? So I can bring it again! Oh, I'm not quite sure what to make of that clip. Um, I mean, the screenwriter of this shouldn't get a job cleaning toilets, if we're being really honest, but... Yeah, uh, well, it sounds like like, Tom Hardy's having a bit of fun with it, like, firstly and foremost. Uh, and that's what we that's what we like to see Tom Hardy do, play around and just, you know, Mm. and and enjoy the characters. Um... Woody Harrelson's in this, Michelle Williams, and also Naomi Harris. Is she Woody Harrelson's um, other half in this? Yes, for lack of a better term. Right, um, okay, first of all, this is... This is, without me even getting into the I've read a comic, come on, bit, mm. let's just do this one by the numbers. Okay, first of all, this is exactly as good as the first movie. I, I, I'm not going to say it's any better or worse than the first movie. It does have one thing going for it that the previous movie didn't, and that's Andy Serkis. Andy mm. Serkis directs this, and it is strangely more coherent and visually sensical than Ruben Fleischer's effort last time around. It's not particularly inventive or anything. It is still a grim, dark spin of the mask without yeah. the fun. The only thing to recommend it for is Tom Hardy's having a laugh. 
You know, that's yeah. it. Tom, Tom Hardy's having. Like, I mean, most of the time, I sat through this movie chortling to myself. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I'm chortling to something. This is just good. What? What? What is? This? What are you doing? This is. It's like if someone dropped acid and then got asked to remake Spawn. You know, but like specifically remake the 1997 adaptation of Spawn. That's what this feels like. Someone dropped acid and thought that Spawn movie with Michael Jai White, Mike, Martin Sheen, and, and John Leguizamo was the, the weird clown. Like that's fun. I'm I'm I'm, I'm off my ass. I'm gonna I'm gonna make this. Like that's what this feels like. It's deranged. Also, I'm sorry. Screenwriting 101. Right. If you're making a sequel to, a, I'll be very quick. If you're making a sequel to a movie about a seemingly, in, in, you know, invulnerable in alien symbiote whose only weakness is sound, and you literally ended the last movie by killing another one of them using that mechanism, don't open the sequel by having. Here's a second guy who's obsessed with a very specific church tower, and his girlfriend has the superpower of sound. That's the first five minutes of this movie. As far as storytelling goes, that's like kicking Chekhov to the curb, throwing his gun out with him and asking him to come back in Keanu Reeves' cosplay and yell, guns, lots of guns. It's about that level of subtlety. It's deranged. I mean, it's storytelling for children, but if you like the first movie, you're going to love this because it's more of the same. It's more of the same of the same low bar. I can't argue with it, because it doesn't pretend to have any ambition beyond that. Woody Harrelson's wasted. There are maybe three scenes of Carnage, so a bit of a wasted title, if we're being honest. It's kind of up there with The Winter Soldier. But, eh, fine, I guess. It's better than Halloween Kills. Welcome back to Off Screen. We're taking you from the cinema to the couch. And there is a great selection of movies on TV for you this week. Kicking off with one of my favourite easy watches, always good fun, uh, perfect British movie, although led by an American. It is, of course, uh, Bridget Jones's Diary on ITV on Saturday at 10.35pm. Quite late for this one, but who... Oh, Come the something along, Bridget. You know, it's, it's the classic. I can't <laughs> I say it on the podcast. You can say F. Come the F, come the F along, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a great movie. And actually, even like the sequel was brilliant, but um, maybe the third one sort of fell a little bit flat. But hmm. Renee Zellweger's brilliant as Bridget in this. I think it's very British, really kind of captures that moment of, you know, what we love from like all those kind of Richard Curtis-esque kind of mm. movies um and you know for me hugh grant uh colin firth everything about this just really works and when when we get it right boy do we get it right and bridget jones's diary is a fantastic example of that i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna throw something really controversial on the fire with this one i don't okay. mind jerry hallowell's cover of it's raining men from this i, I actually don't that mind is it. controversial. it's fine it's fine i'm isn't thinking it? you're I, saying I, that because of the music I, video but that's fine um i forgot, I forgot <laughs> about that i forgot I, I associate the song with the the street fight yeah, I know. When I know. when Gaius Baltar and Battlestar Galactica pops in, fight, just fight. Yeah, you know, I love that moment. Also, I actually genuinely, think... I actually genuinely love the soundtrack for this. I think it's, it's a good like, soundtrack, isn't it? Yeah, I remember this. I like everything also, about it because um, a smile on your face. Take a moment to appreciate that just before that fight, there is a sequence in which the same guy, James Callis, I always think of him as Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica, yeah. is in that restaurant and he's actually snapping an, a new a new case onto the front of his Nokia 5110. Nice. Because that's a thing that happened then. And Amazing. you watch it now and you're just like, oh my God, look, it has a removable battery and everything. Anyway, beside the point. So that's, anyway, on, that's on when now? That's on, that's on Saturday, Saturday at ITV at 10.35 p.m. That's Bridget Jones's Diary. On Sunday... On BBC Two at 10.45pm, what have we got, Van? We've got Armando Iannucci's The Death of Star. Now, I, again, takes that, I'm, I'm chucking on the pile on this one. This is what Iannucci should get awards, should have gotten awards love for, not David Copperfield. This. This is phenomenal. Based on a graphic novel, and it sort of chronicles the immediate aftermath of, funnily enough, The Death of Stalin, and the sort of the thick of its style political machinations that come to bear when you've got a group of disparate, increasingly unhinged personalities around the body all vying to inherit the big chair and starring the likes of Jeffrey Tambor, Jason Isaacs, Steve Buscemi, uh, I think it's Rupert Friend, a whole bevy of top-tier talent, but it's all done in the style of the thick of it, even though this is old-school Soviet Russia. No matter what happens... I will never, ever let any harm come to you or your brother. Who said anything about harm? 
No, that's what I'm you saying. You know that somebody wants to harm they us. Won't. There's going to be Tell no. me. If someone... I demand to know. No, there's, I should not have used the word harm. Yes, but you keep mentioning the word harm. No. Why? If anyone tries to... you, they'll have to get through me first. <laughs> My father's going to die, and I'm going to have you to look after me. I mean, I may as well just shoot myself like mother. We need to be strong and never afraid. Yeah, well, I wasn't afraid. Now I am afraid. No, no, don't be, because if any harm... I, God, I actually can't believe you said that again. Quick! The bus is back! Oh, I can see you creasing up. I love Steve Buscemi. Uh, uh, he's so good. He's so good. Have you heard about his new film, by the way? No, what? He's doing this new film, uh, The Listener, with uh, Tessa Thompson, that's set in a call centre after COVID, where she had to deal with, like, uh, you know, uh, mental health issues from callers, like, on mm -hmm. her own during COVID. And it's about the toll it takes on her. Like, just her. Like, there's no one else in the movie. It's just Tessa Thompson. And Steve Buscemi's directing. That's his, his new movie. We were talking about it the other day on Daily Real. But this is phenomenal. I love mm. The Death of Stalin. So I, I will watch this film a dozen, dozen times. It, it, it's so good. Uh, this is on, on BBC Two. Sunday night, 10.45. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a very dialogue-driven film. It's not for everyone. Yeah. But if you are a fan of Iannucci's, not David Copperfield type work, because that's more of a traditional film, but if you like his films like uh, In the Loop, if you like The Thick of It, things like that, Veep, mm. even, if you're a fan of Veep, yeah. it, this is just that with a different historical veneer, but it's exactly as biting, exactly as funny, and he's vintage Iannucci. It's worth it just for Jason Isaacs having fun with a Yorkshire accent. Yeah. Oh, look at the fish. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. I cannot say enough nice things about Jason Isaacs in this movie. He is phenomenal. Also, Jeffrey Tambor, quite right. Anyway, so that's Sunday night, death of Stalin. Kill the weekend with it at the same time. Great time. Monday night then, Bex. Let's go to war. What you got? Well, Mel Gibson's taking us to war with Hacksaw Ridge, uh, which is on Paramount Channel at 10.05 p.m. Stars Andrew Garfield. He plays a medic, uh, well, in World War II. It was two, who, yeah. Yeah, he, he served during the Battle of Okinawa and uh, refuses to kill people. Mm. So he's kind of like, not a conscientious objector, but there's it's something along those kind of lines. <clears throat> I think he was the. I think the, the, in the true the true story iteration, we actually get told here. I think it is the. He's the first pacifist to win the Medal of Honor or something, or one of the medals. Yeah, yeah, I think he that's, did. That's yeah. the story. Sorry, how he did that, effectively. Yeah. Good movie. It's Vince Vaughn, I think, is his super is his CEO, isn't he? Like he works for the, he reports to Vince Vaughn, I think, in the movie. I Vince think so. And also, yeah, but also like Sam Worthington's in this as well. Um, ah, yes. Yeah. So there's like yeah, yeah I don't recognise Vince Vaughn in this actually. I think it's. Unless he's got a smaller role in this, but yeah, it's maybe uh, Sam think Worthington. He's the and... drill sergeant or the CO or something who gives him a hard time, but then begrudgingly gives him his respect as time goes by, as as these things are want to do. Which is a good movie, though, isn't it? Mm, yeah, it's a really good movie, actually. Yeah. And I, you know, I always think that, you know, um, that that basically Mel Gibson is a great director. Like for all his controversy and stuff, he does pull off some really, really good work when he does. Uh, I mean, he's, he a, does... he's a crap synagogue spokesperson, but he's a good director. We'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Let's move swiftly on to Tuesday, uh, which is the Last King of Scotland on Film Four, eleven twenty p.m. I remember this movie because I remember at the Oscars that year. This really put. Um, mm. James McAvoy on the global Did. map, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, was you it, know. Wasn't it? yeah, and Forrest Whitaker's in this as well. It's it's a really great kind of big movie. Like, you know, mm. this is kind of like I was going to say, like, what do you liken it to? And not in terms of content, but just the look and feel, like Selma, like those kind of movies that make an impact. Well, it is, uh, to an extent, I mean, The Last King of Scotland makes its bones on, because you've got a great performance, Oscar-winning turn, I think, from, from Forrest Whitaker as, uh, as E.D. Armin. Now, it was very strange that there hadn't really been an E.D. Armin movie at that point. When the, I remember this movie kept, kept coming out, as I, uh, I worked for Blockbuster at the time. When it mm. hit DVD, as, as obviously as Blockbuster staff, you just take rental copies home, you know, it's one of the staff perks. And uh, I remember the day that hit DVD, it was the movie that every family member wanted to see. Like, over yeah. a certain age, everybody yeah. wanted to see. the, And no one cared about... Like, when After they'd watched it, they all loved James McAvoy. But prior to watching it, it was the Edie Armin movie. Have you got that Edie Armin? Can I watch that Edie Armin movie? People coming into Blockbuster, like, Can, have you got the Edie Armin movie? Very strange. Like, people were really sold on the idea of an Edie Armin movie. And Forrest Whitaker did such a good job that he deservedly got the Oscar for it. But as you say, 
it made McAvoy's career. I think he got X-Men mm. on the back of it. I think his yeah. the first X-Men movie he did was on the back of this, like three years later, he gets the gig because of it. That had been in development. Hell, did he time. literally like, is... jump from like Shameless to this and then... He He'd done a couple. He'd done a couple of films. Yeah. Don't forget, Atonement is the same year as Last King of ah. Scotland as well. For the second time we're mentioning that today, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, start of a 10 was the year before with Alice Eve. Oh, well. and with um, Benedict Cumberbatch as well. Yes, like yeah, well. Start yes. of a 10 was the oh, year like before. Start yeah. of a 10. Yeah, okay, oh, gotcha. Who doesn't love Start oh. of a 10? I know, great little movie. Okay, well, that's Last King of Scotland, Film 4, 11.20pm on Tuesday. Moving on to Wednesday. Oh, this is a great movie on Film 4, 9pm. Black Klansman with our guy Adam Driver. John David David Washington. John David Washington as well. And this is the story of how a white police officer... I know, sorry, a black police officer... black police officer, yeah. Yes. I was like, wait, hang on, that doesn't work. A black police officer infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. I was going to say, because a white guy doing it, it's just, it's a little bit easy. No, I don't, yeah, I don't know why I'm saying confused. <laughs> well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. This is the job. What's your problem? That's my problem. For you, it's a crusade. For me, it's a job. It's not personal, nor should it be. Why haven't you bought into this? Why should I? Because you're Jewish, brother. The so-called chosen people. You've been passing for a wasp. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant, cherry pie hot dog white boy. Hmm. That's what some light-skinned black folks do. They pass for white. Doesn't that hatred you've been hearing the Klan say, doesn't that piss you off? Of course it does. Then why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game, brother? Rookie, that's my business. It's our business. This is a this is a great movie. Like just in mm. general, just to watch it, fantastic performances. But also, I think it's like right at the end where they show some real footage um, of like you know, Charlottesville. Quite hard Charlottesville, yeah. Mm. Really hard hitting footage at the end. Yeah. Really packs a punch. So it brings it right back to actually, mm. you may have laughed and found this like a really fun movie. There is like a really sinister horrible horrible side uh, to this and yeah. i think it's really the, the, you'd argue it just kind of, it leaves it leaves a bit of a, a sour taste in the end of an otherwise mm. very fun movie like the movie yeah. begins with this is based on some for real for real shiz and yeah. uh, and and then but then kind of presents you with a very comedic story i mean there's the whole involvement of david duke is historically hilarious <laughs> but, anyway, see it for amazing. yourself john david washington's yeah. awesome in this also i could listen to him say the word white white forever <laughs> yeah i know white. i was gonna say that white, white um yes yeah, so good it's so good With your cool um whip. cool whip yeah <laughs> and let's let's uh let's move very swiftly on we're just going to quickly touch on the fact that on thursday night on um, 4 7 at nine o'clock is mm. venom the so if you are thinking about watching the um the new venom, venom let, there carnage, yeah. let there be carnage then obviously you might want to watch the original one to watch exactly the same movie it would seem but anyway <laughs> um you can uh, do that on me. thursday no, no, andy circus is not directing the first okay your difference is there andy circus at least makes it so you can see the second one Okay. That's okay. Fine. Fine. Okay. So look, look. Your Wednesday night is Black Klansman, film four nine p.m. Thursday is Venom, four seven at nine p.m. And then Friday, topping off the week is one for the family, maybe particularly Mum and Dad on the Horror Channel at uh, ten thirty p.m. Or am I wrong? <laughs> I want to. I want to meet the family that watches this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd watch it with my family, but you know, we only have one kid in the family, and he wouldn't understand any of it. So Mum and Dad, starring Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair as uh, suburban parents during an onslaught of what seems to be like a, an airborne virus or something that turns all the parents evil into like insane ravenous foaming at the mouth murderers who want to kill everyone in sight starting with their own children now it was very very hard to find a clip for this um so here enjoy 13 seconds i think of nick cage guinea's best your right foot in, you take your right foot out, you do the hokey pokey and you f***ing work it all out. Nicholas Cage, ladies and gentlemen, mom and dad, that's on a horror show on Friday night, 10.50. I'm not going to tell you much more about it because it's brilliant fun. Just go and check this out. It's like 90 minutes long, hyper-violent, hilariously unhinged Nick Cage. Selma Blair gets in on the fun as well. Have a good time. Tell him I sent you.
Welcome back to Offscreen, and we are with you for one last ride. We are taking you down the DVD, Blu-ray, and streaming aisle in your supermarkets, if you remember those, when we used to be able to go and pick up DVDs and Blu-rays in those. I remember um, I remember the streaming aisle in my local Morrison's backstore. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like you struggling with that intro, I struggled to make that segue work. Um, let's move swiftly on from that. Um, <laughs> Escape Room is um, Tournament of Champions is on DVD and Blu-ray. Is that a new iteration of Escape Room, or what is that the one that we will have seen a couple of years ago? Well, you remember, I think it was, but actually it was just pre-COVID. I think we it was the end of 2019 we reviewed Escape Room 1. And yeah. this is a very this is a very cheap and this has to have been filmed during COVID because it came together right, relatively okay. quickly. It's not an excessively elaborate film, but it does play like a sort of PG-13 Saw, if you can imagine. It's kind of like Saw for Gen Z. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're doing sore, but they have access to Snapchat. You know, it's kind of that way of thinking. It's a direct sequel to the first one, so you do actually, I think, kind of need to have seen the first one if you want to follow the mythology. And of we this. enjoyed the first one. We enjoyed we it, did. didn't we? Fine. Yeah. It was fine, wasn't it? It was the one where they, they, you know, the strangers go to an escape room and it's it's the maze from Saw, and you have to escape the room, and then you're in another room, you have to escape this one. If you don't escape, you die. You know. Same thing again. Only I think for the sequel, they're doing the Hunger Games trick of all these people got out of the of different escape rooms before, but now they're all in a, these are all the winners put in together, hence Tournament of Champions. Decent enough spin. I, I you know, had a little bit of fun with it. It's not as good as the first one, I don't think. It's a bit sillier. Mm. But, uh, and the mythology is needlessly convoluted, but uh, eh, it's fine for what it is. It's a PG-13 okay. Saw. I like Saw. This is perfectly harmless. Why not? Go see it. Have fun. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, let's move swiftly on to uh, the Sparks Brothers, um, which I don't know anything about why do i not know about this i've, I've heard brothers. it mentioned we reviewed it i think did we I mean, you might have been off that week i, I might have think. been off the week do you know what i think you were off and zara was covering that week i think right. because i had a whole zara was going to watch it didn't and then i told her about it and she was like yeah i'm kind of glad i didn't uh, this is a documentary oh. about the band sparks made okay. by Edgar Wright. So the documentary is made by Edgar Wright, not the band, obviously. Sparks are one of those bands that have been around for decades. They've sold, you know, millions of albums, like tens of millions of albums. They, they are beloved by fans around the world. And yet they're just not a big mainstream band. And it's very strange. Mm. You've heard more of their songs than you think. And you've seen their work, actually, because you saw whatever the hell that Adam Driver musical was that we reviewed about a month oh ago. Oh, my God. That. That. <laughs> So you remember the song at the start Ugh. called May We Start or May We Start? That one. That's Sparks. Yes. That, that actually is Can Sparks. Can you stop bringing back nightmares, please? <laughs> oh, the wooden puppet singing at the Super Bowl didn't, didn't traumatise no, you I, enough. I, I, think, I think the I love you song is the one that's traumatised me so much. Like, don't even get me started on that movie. Get it out of my memory now. I told a friend of mine about that last about that movie last night at the Venom screening, and I told she was talking about it. She's like, oh, I start I turned it off after like five minutes. It was enough. I went, oh really? When was Marianne Cartier still alive when you stopped it? She's like, yeah. I went, you ain't seen nothing yet then. Oof. And then proceeded to tell her the plot of the remaining ninety five percent of that film. And Horrendous. Good lord, no. Um, but that's 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 that musical. Sparks, the Sparks Brothers movie is way better. The Sparks Brothers, the documentary is actually really good. It's got okay. inventive flair. You like a stylish documentary. Imagine yeah, I do. what Edgar Wright brings to that. Yeah, okay. And he fine. does bring that flair. The mute, the soundtrack's a killer. The band are quite upfront about who they are and what they do and what why their brand is regarded the way. It's like no one's under any illusions. And also the fans they have are very intriguing. They've got some really high-profile, like, die-hard fans. People like Patton Oswalt. <laughs> you know, like, really big-name comedians like Sarah Silverman and things like that are, are fans of Sparks. It's it's deranged. Um, but you will come away with a, a, an appreciation for them you didn't have, before, I didn't have before. I certainly... I knew some of the music, but, yeah, like, I, I would call myself a fan now because oh. of this documentary. Not enough of a fan to watch that god-awful Adam Driver thing again, but enough of the fans to watch the Sparks Brothers documentary again. So okay. if you're, if you, you know, check it. If you've got a weird uncle, if you've got a weird uncle over 40, buy him this on DVD or thank you. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? There's a movie out as well on DVD and Blu-ray that maybe the kids will thank you for as well. And it's The Croods, A New Age. I, yeah. look, I haven't seen any of The Croods, but... Yeah. 
I've heard like, you know, my brother-in-law and his son and daughter, they love this. And they're like, this is great. And you know, you know what my benchmark is with a good animated movie is like, it's got to appeal to the adults as much as it does the kids. And does this kind of do, does this cut the mustard basically? I think by an extraordinary coincidence, you this was this came out the same week as the Sparks Brothers because I, I remember reviewing this. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was not on. So the off. first Crudes was Meet the Parents as an animated mm. caveman movie, and Ryan Reynolds in the sort of Ben Stiller role. Uh, but obviously, you had Sir Nicholas of Cage in the patriarch role. You had Emma uh, Emma Stone as the the daughter bringing him into the family sort of thing. So it was Meet the Parents as an animated cape. I mean, it was perfectly harmless. It was, it was fun. It was Nicolas Cage getting to have a laugh. You know, I'm the grumpy Fred Flintstone-like dad, you know. And there were elements of the, the, new, the stepson, the newcomer into the family being more advanced. Like he had his version of tech. It would be like, you know, cavemen, Rube Goldberg-style Flintstones devices. You know, yeah. Like fishing rod that's made out of leaves kind of thing, but it's yeah. viewed as if it's newfangled technology. You've now got the sequel, which actually follows the same trajectory which is okay now we're going to meet the fuckers and i always have to be very specific on the pronunciation of that don't you did you know that they had to actually find out they had to look into and prove that there was a family named that before they oh, were wow. allowed to call before they were allowed to call the film that because the studio refused to accept it until they Brilliant. did they had to actually find the Pockers. and it turned out yeah they exist so you're allowed to use the name uh, same thing again only now we're going to the stepson's family, or sort mm. of friends of the family kind of thing, who are more advanced, more enlightened, led by Peter Dinklage and Leslie Mann. They are the Newmans. Get it? New yep. Mans. Uh, yeah, gotcha. And they're a lot more woke. They're a lot more hippie-ish. They're a lot more in tune with nature. You can see where this idea is going to go. Hey, you. Where'd you go? Took Chucky for a joyride. Joyride? Joyride? We rolled to death. Outside the wall. Yes. You took Dawn for a joyride outside the wall. Yeah. Well, the Bettermans, they, they don't want Dawn outside the wall. They built the wall for a reason, you know, to keep everyone safe. Guy, relax. Yeah, guy. Take it down. What's wrong with her? Ah, uh, it's just a reaction to the bee venom. Bee venom? Bee venom! What the? Oh, it's just a little bee sting. Little! Hey, you're not the boss of me. This is a very severe. <laughs> Eep! This is a very severe bee sting. This is a very severe bee sting. Fine. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. Uh, Bettermans, like. by the way. It was, it was, it was Bettermans. Sorry, it was less subtle Newmans. than my one. Less yeah. subtle than my one, clearly. Oh, well, there's, that's uh, I might go and revisit that and go and have a look at those um, and Worth watch it. that from the first. Yeah, I think so. It sounds like they're it. A good it like they're a good double. They're a good pair to double. They work quite yeah. well. Okay, good. Uh, moving swiftly on to something that I have seen this week, which is The Forever Purge. Mm, and yeah. Forever Purge, uh, which is... <laughs> yeah, you can tell I've seen it. I've definitely seen the trailer because they have that in the trailer. The, I really like The Purge movies, and I don't think this is up there as one of the best ones but it's interesting how they can still keep making this concept work and this is like there's a lot more sort of like there's race issues in this mm. there's um you know there's it's a, it's a bigger sort of social commentary um than what it has been sort of previously it's not just about one night anymore it's about actually the purge just carries on and on and on and they break the rules and you know and for me it's kind of like i don't know how many more iterations of the purge we can get but this one uh, you know stretched it a little bit for me i can i can think of a version of the purge that i'm reasonably sure started getting written on january 7th this year because that's gonna happen now the purge has always followed real world events slightly so you always notice that the purge has an unfortunate tradition of the purge will release a movie when something really big is happening in the real world so look at election year for instance they yeah. dropped election year the year that trump was running but they had no way of knowing that obviously otherwise yeah. you know they would have incorporated that in as a plot element so what happens then is you get the follow-up where you then have to start addressing things that you missed from the last one so trumpism comes into that one this one happened you know came out after january the 6th this year the attempted insurrection mm. of the u.s capitol mm -hmm. um but instead concerns itself more with the trumpian ideas of the wall and the xenophobia that centered yeah. around that 
and particularly Proud Boys and that kind of culture. And so it's not without timeliness, but again, you know that the next one is going to be the one that's going to be about the January 6th insurrection and, blah, and, and we've got all that to come. This is the most direct-to-DVD feeling of these, but in terms of its topicality and the fact that it's quite solidly made, like, it's not a bad-made one of these. No, not, not badly made one. Like, this is the most throwaway one. Feels like it belongs on a shiny disc, if we're being really honest, or on stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still not what you'd call a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination, and it has things to say. And I would rather a ropey movie that had things to say. This isn't even ropey, yes. but I'd rather a ropey movie that had things to say than Give Me Venom, Let's Be Carnage. Let there be carnage, like the three scenes of carnage with no point. Yeah. You know I mean, oh, or, I or enjoyed hell, that. Yeah. Kills, let's just, you know, Halloween waste time. You know, let's just give me something to say. That, that's all. Yeah. And this definitely has that in abundance. So the Forever oh, yeah. Purge is there for you uh, on DVD and Blu-ray. Let's just quickly jump to one item that we've got for streaming this week. I can't believe we're saying the C word this early, but we are. Uh, it's coming out Communism. on Netflix. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, there's so many other C words. Um, we, Saturday, we did that with Stalin. <laughs> we did that with Stalin, yeah. Um, Saturday on Netflix, we have... Uh, this is Saturday 16th on Netflix, uh, is Last Christmas, the Henry Golding, Amelia Clark um, movie, which is, uh, you know what? It's that, th what I was saying about Bridget Jones, that when we mm. do the British <clears throat> movies really well, we do them really well. This doesn't quite live up to it, but it's, it's been moments, quite well received. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's got, it's well got a, a bit of charm because it's written by Emma Thompson. So he's like, yeah. I guarantee you all the charm in this came out of the Emma Thompson. It's also, like, weirdly, it's directed by Paul Feig. You're like, yes. why are you doing... Why? This is weirder yeah. than when you did a simple favour. What is going on in your house, Paul? Um, yeah, I, I'm perfectly fine. And, and Golding's charming AF, and, and Amelia Clark is just everybody's dream woman, evidently, but... And do you know what? He's got a, a crazy rich Asians reunion in uh, uh, in Michelle Yeoh and Henry Golding. So on screen, yeah. mum and son get back together in this one, which I'm, I'm always happy to see. I like it. It's, it's fine. I'll watch it on streaming this Christmas. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't pay to go to the cinema to watch it, but I'd happily watch it on streaming is the way I kind of look at this. I got roofied after a screening of this. True story. But uh, wow. I still, and yet somehow I still remember the film. But uh, anyways. <laughs> Last Christmas, you can check that out on Netflix, as we say, from this Saturday. So stream away starting this weekend. So next week, though, we got, you know, a barrel last look. Do you know we finally get to review the Boss Baby 2 next week? Yes, yes, yeah. we do. And, and I just saw a trailer for that recently, actually. And I can't wait to talk to you about Dear Evan Hansen, which is finally you out can't. next let's, week. Let's I'm hold, hold fire on that, because I know you've got some, some words to say. All, all I'm going to say is we're going to be talking about Dexter a lot next week. Okay. That's okay. all I'm going to say about that. Not Michael C. Hall. Not Michael Anthony Hall. It's going... No, not Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> it's, it's Michael Anthony C. Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. And Michael... I remember it because of Not Another Teen Movie because they eat yeah. lunch in the high school Anthony Michael dining hall. Yes. Uh, that's yeah, how yeah, I yeah. always remember yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, gotcha. Well, listen, look, we've got lots of fun coming your way. I'm particularly looking forward to Boss Baby 2, actually, and see what that's you all should. about. Um, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good laugh. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return.